So we're in Joshua chapter 24 and uh, finally finishing up this book. And I know I've gotten a lot out of it and uh, there's some tough chapters to teach. But we kind of took those tough chapters, uh, didn't really preach about them, just preached about other things uh, kind of every week. But this chapter, it's probably uh, one of the more well-known chapters, or at least it has probably the most well-known verse um, in the book of Joshua, Joshua 24:15, which is where we will be getting our text tonight. But uh, just a little background before we start reading. Uh, remember, they've, uh, the land's been divided up. Everybody's gotten their inheritance. Joshua has gotten his. Uh, they've been obedient to the Lord. Uh, they really only had one hiccup in this whole book, just the story of Achan. And they definitely learned their lesson. This has just been a, a great generation. God has blessed them greatly. And so now Joshua, he's old. He's about to pass off the scene. And so he is uh, giving them some uh, final words, some final commands you know, as the leader there in Israel. So let's go ahead and start reading verse 1. It says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of the children of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Now, I want to stop right here for a second and just point out, this is something that we see a lot in the Bible. Um, we see the same thing with Stephen when he preached to the Jews. They would often just kind of give a history. Whenever they were like at a crucial point in their time, when something big was about to happen, uh, when a major decision is needing to be made, they would often go through their history like this. And so pretty much that's what they're doing right now. He's kind of preaching a similar message to what Stephen preached, you could almost say. It's just it wasn't near as long because they didn't have near as much history yet at this time. But he's going through just explaining what God has done for them as a people that come from Abraham and, how, and uh, basically where they're at now and showing how God has got them to this place, to this day, where they are at right now. And it says, And I gave unto Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt and ye dwell in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you and I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand and ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. God's making sure he gets the credit for everything that's taken place, because it's very clear, everything, you know, where Israel is at at this time is all because of God. God has done it all for him. And he says, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. You know, I could preach a message right there on that. Serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. There's a lot of people. They got a lot of truth and no sincerity. And there's a lot of people, too, that have a lot of sincerity and no truth. You know, you can talk. You can find them in Catholic churches. They're as sincere as you can get, but no truth. And you got people in Baptist churches, got a whole bunch of truth, but they're a bunch of hypocrites. You know, and God wants both. God wants sincerity and truth. And then here we got the big verse that we all know, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, 
Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we all know this verse, probably the most popular verse in the book of Joshua. Uh, this is probably hanging up in many homes. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's biblical. Does anybody have this hanging up in their home? Oh, we got one, two. All right, we got a couple biblical people here. You know, we're supposed to write these things upon the doorpost of our house. That's also in the Bible. Um, I'll have to get up, make sure I preach a message about that and let y'all have it. I don't even know if I have it at my house. And if we don't, it's my wife's fault because she does all the decorating. So, um, but I, I remember when, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, when my dad was pastoring Spring Valley, we lived in a parsonage. And I still remember this. On the front door of the house, it had like a window on it, the shape of a cross. And on the door, too, was a thing that had Joshua twenty four fifteen. As for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. And uh, I guess you should expect that in a pastor's house at least. But yeah, I'm gonna have to check our house to see if we got that anywhere. But we all know this verse. And here's but here's what I want you to understand. The thing about this statement, uh, it actually meant a, a little bit more back then than it does today. You know, in our culture, because today when we talk about our house, you know, we mean literally those living under our roof. That's, that's pretty much what, uh, what we mean. But back then, it was more. In, in reality, and a lot of times, it was your descendants. So, you know, if you were a grandpa or a great-grandpa, often, you know, even if your sons were married and had children, they were considered a part of your house. And I'll show you how all that works here in a little bit. You know, because obviously, if you had a son and he, you know, grew up, got married, you know, had children, he would have his own house and his own authority in certain areas. But back then in that culture, the patriarch, he had a lot, you know, he had, uh, still had some power really until the time that uh, he gave the inheritance to his children. He still would have had some authority. So for example, Joshua, we read earlier about how Joshua received an inheritance. And chances are it was probably a pretty significant portion of land. And so it was his. That was Joshua's land. As long as he was alive, that was his land. Now, one of the reasons back then, if you had a really big portion of land, you were also supposed to subdue the land. You, you couldn't just have land and say, this is all mine, and then let it get overgrown and things. And you know that's not right either. And that's why, too, technically, according to like any laws that have been throughout the world, people like to claim how this whole country belonged to the Indians and stuff. Well, this... They, had, they didn't really subdue the land, did they? It was pretty wild out here. And so if people come along and they subdue it, it's kind of theirs. And not trying to get everybody all fired up. But, you know, obviously areas that they had and they were taken care of, we probably should have left them. I'm not saying there was no stealing that went on. But literally the whole country, I mean, come on. You know, we, you know, we can have some of it. But anyway, that's another story for another day. And, and I can say that because my great-grandmother was full-blooded Indian. Alright. So, so I'm not I'm not a racist or anything like that. But anyway, I don't know why I got off on that. But uh but anyway, so you know, back then you wanted to have a lot of sons because you weren't going to give the land to your daughters because if they married a guy from another tribe or, or whatever, it then it's not in your family anymore. So you wanted it in your family. So these guys that was one of the reasons they made such a big deal about having sons. And then, so if you're Joshua, you know, you can't farm all this land. You can't do everything that needs to be done. So chances, I don't remember how many sons Joshua had, but, you know, say you had five sons, what you're probably going to do, you're going to probably section that off into five sections and say, all right, these are yours. Go make something happen with it. But at the same time, it's still yours until you officially give it to them. And whether they would do that on their death or while they were still alive, as long as they were alive, they were kind of over that land. And then once they died, then it would kind of go to those descendants. So you still had some power over your children, even if they were uh, grown up. And just because they had a wife and kids didn't mean they weren't under your authority anymore. So, uh, uh, so the inheritance, again, or, you know, so back then, the highest power... You know, the law of the land was the Old Testament, right? Or the Pentateuch, the Torah. That was the law of the land. And so if you received a possession, you were kind of the leader. You could make your own rules and things as long as they didn't violate the laws of God. 
You know, and so I could have, some, you know, and so I was, I would be responsible to kind of rule over my house. And even though it was my land, I couldn't allow idols to be there. You know, there, and, you know, there's might be things that I could even say you can't do that the Bible doesn't forbid. It's my land and I can command my family. And as long as you didn't go outside the word of God and violate it, you know, you had that kind of power and your descendants were expected to follow you. And so, uh, it's also important to understand too that if you were someone who didn't have an inheritance, and there was a lot of people like this back then, who didn't have an inheritance, you were, you were kind of an underclass. You know, chances are, you were probably going to end up being someone's servant during that time. Uh, you know, they'll let you live in their land, but you would be under their authority and you would be considered a part of their house. And so a lot of times too, when you're reading the genealogies and the names and things, it's mainly giving the people of importance, the people who have an inheritance, but there was a lot of other people with them who were servants and things that uh, they weren't physical descendants. They didn't have an inheritance, but they did live in the land. And so they did. They, they called them servants. Uh, some people today might call them slaves, uh, but and, and the difference it's not huge, folks. And you know, and I hate to tell everybody this too, but you know, most of us in here we're pretty much all underclass types. We just are told that we're free, and you know, we're fortunately we're able to choose where we live. You know, we do we do have a lot of freedom, but we don't really have any land. We don't have any ownership. We have no power, do we? I mean, we're just, we are we are all kind of that underclass today and i hate to admit that and i hate to reveal that to you but yeah that's just pretty much the way it is so they let us live in their land as long as we pay our taxes but you know they take good care of us they make some nice roads for the most part you know run water and give us electricity gas you know make things easy on us they can fatten us all up before they roast us all and eat us i don't know what they're planning on doing with us but probably not good uh that's another subject too for another day most because i mean let's none of us are really self-sufficient are we when the grid goes down i mean it's it's not going to be pretty in this country you know the those on the upper class they'll be fine they'll be taken care of but the rest of us uh it's, it's not going to be pretty but anyway you know so here's the thing too about your house so back then it wasn't even just your descendants it could even be your servants. It was really anyone that you were in authority over. And let me show you several examples too, uh, just showing how the house back then, it was, it was a little more than just your family, the people living under your roof. We see in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So it was just Noah's house. Now here's the thing. Noah had three sons, and guess what? They all had wives. But yet God said, Noah, this is your house. Why? Because they were, they were his sons and he's kind of the patriarch. He's the leader. They didn't live in America. And just because they had their own address, you know, they were their own authority. You know, Noah still had some authority. We see in Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. You know, Abram, came from a people that were an idolatrous people and God has called Abram out of his father's house. Now, does this mean Abraham or Abram was living under his father's roof? No, but he was under his father's authority. And so it was time God's calling him away so he can go and start a new, not just a house, but a new nation with this man. And one of the things that God said about Abram is that, you know, uh, one of the reasons God told him what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah, because he says, I know him and that he will command his children. God wanted to use Abraham. Why? Because God wanted him to raise up a nation. And so Abram, he was going to be able to command his children and his descendants, and he was going to be an authority. That's how, that's how it worked back then. And just because a guy got a ring on his finger and got married, didn't mean he didn't still have to listen to Abraham. That's not, that's not how it worked back then. In Genesis 14, verse 14, it says, When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Man, he, I mean, what, was he living in a hospital? How do you have 318 servants in your house? Well, it's under his authority. 
These were, these were his servants. These were his people that he took care of. And obviously they worked for him. I don't think Abraham was the one out there doing all the manual labor. He had servants to do that, but he was the boss. He was the overseer and they were a part of his house. Hate to break this to you. He owned them. <laughs> and, and that, that, you know, that bothers people, but, uh, and, and again, I, it's amazing how offended Americans get by that when we are all owned. We're all owned by bankers and we are owned by the government when they can tax us the way they do. All right. So get over yourself. And when you want to act like you're all offended by slavery, you know, because after the Civil War, we got rid of that baloney. Okay, we just replaced the slaves. Now we're the slaves. You know, well, we shouldn't have done that to those people. Well, now we get to pay welfare to everybody. I mean, we get to, I mean, we're literally, I mean, think about it. How much work do you do to pay for other people's welfare? I mean, and, and you can't, you don't have any choice in that. You know what that's called? It's called slavery. I don't want to pay for these people's welfare, but yeah, I'm forced to do it. I keep getting sidetracked on these things, but you know, this, this is what happens when you're the underclass. Abraham's servants, they probably had a problem with some things too, but tough luck. They were the, they were the servants. They were the underclass. All right. Welcome to the club. I, I hate to break everybody's delusion, uh, that, you know, you got cause you've been listening to God bless the USA and things like that and think you have freedom. But anyway, Genesis 17:12 says, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And then verse 27 says, and all the men of his house born in his house and bought with money of the stranger were circumcised with him. So having looked at all these things, we see this statement it did mean a little more back then than it does today for a majority of people. Because you know, I'm commanding you know, just the 10. We got, we got 10 people in my house and that's pretty much all I'm in authority over. And you know what? In our country, you know, I've got two right now that if they wanted, they could rebel. But you know what? They'd have to leave my house. And once they leave my house, you know, I don't think biblically I'm going to be obligated to force them to do things. I have no power to do that. That's not how the laws work in our country. Now, if they're, if, you know, and if my boys, they're out, you know, being fornicators and drug addicts and all these things while they're living under my roof and I'm just letting it go, then that is, that's a mark against me. Even if I'm not doing it, it doesn't matter that they're 18. If they're living under my roof, if they're, or if they're under my authority, then I am responsible and so we need to understand that our country doesn't have the same system like it did back then, but I do believe there's still principles that we can follow from this. And so, again, if they are, if, if they are under your authority, you ought to command them. You ought to, uh, you ought to teach them the right thing. You ought to enforce certain things if they are under your authority. And so, you know, thing is too, when Joshua made this statement, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I don't know how many people that included, but chances are the people that he was saying this to, there were probably some, there, there's probably many that that meant over a hundred people. I mean, maybe even a lot more than that. If they had a large family, if a man had, you know, several sons and grandsons and maybe even great grandsons. And if they had a lot of servants, I mean, we're talking hundreds of people. So Saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was a really big thing. They're commanding a lot of people. And so, uh, you know, suppose too, again, because, you know, said things are a little different now in our country. And, you know, let's suppose that just, you know, Tommy decided, you know what, I want to, I want to join the nation of Islam. All right. Yeah. He just, he decides he wants to do that, even though he's white. Okay. Am I disqualified as a pastor because, you know, I lost my son and I'm failing to rule my own house well. Okay. Now, obviously, if he's living in my house and that's going on, we got a real problem. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, you know, and you know what? I got to thinking about it too. You know, everybody's favorite qualification is having children, two kids, right? But that's not the whole thing. Having children in subjection with all gravity. So if I only have a child, 
who's not in subjection with all gravity. I'm still qualified, right? According to that reasoning. So I can let one rioter live in my house. Uh, <laughs> if we're, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do like these people do. But anyway, sorry, I, you know, I was thinking about that and I thought, that's just stupid. But anyway, uh, you know, am, so I wouldn't be disqualified if he's not under my authority. I can't command him. There's nothing I can do. You know, I can't do like they did back in the Old Testament where if he starts serving another God like Allah, you know what I was supposed to do? I was supposed to tell on him and say, hey, he's serving other gods, trying to get other people to serve other gods, and we're supposed to take him out and stone him. We don't do that in this country, do we? So again, I, you know, I just, I want to say all this because I'm encur- I want to encourage you tonight to command your house, to rule your house, but just because somebody is a descendant, if they're not in your house, you can still fulfill Joshua 24:15. As long as they are under your authority, you can still fulfill Joshua 24:15. There's a lot of people today, they've got tough circumstances too where uh you know maybe they've you know they've been divorced, they've got kids that they're sharing custody with, and it's really hard. I don't want people to feel like they're failing and they're 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 not following Joshua 24:15 if they have a family member who's not doing things exactly right as long as they're under your authority. Okay? That's what you can do is you can make sure when it comes to wherever you have authority, you're going to serve the Lord. And that's what I believe, you know, the principle we can get from this. And it should be easier today than it was back then. I mean, that would have been tough back then. You know, when you've got grown up children and uh, if they're wanting to get out of line, trying to command them, but they had to do it because they, they could not let sin get in the land. And that's another thing, too. People need to realize when it talks about if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, he's not listening to all these things, everybody always wants to make it out to be a little kid. This could be a grown-up. You know, chances are it probably was a grown-up if they ever had to do anything like that. Because, again, chastening typically works. Chastening typically works. People just think son, and then they think American culture. Somebody under 18. Now, you know, not necessarily. And the thing is, do you think back then... If, you know, you had some 21-year-old gamer who never wanted to get out of his pajamas, okay, you know, you, you know if, if you throw him out of the house, he doesn't have all these places he can go to. He doesn't have a pads and a, a homeless shelter and, you know, he doesn't have soup kitchens. He doesn't have anything like that. All you just got to do is tell all your brethren and your tribes, hey, you know, you see Junior out there walking around his pajamas you know, looking hungry, don't feed him. You know, he's being lazy. He's not doing his share. I'm t- I'll bet they probably didn't have to stone too many rebellious sons back then. You know, I, I, I think that was prob- probably just didn't happen because they had a lot of power back then. But in our country, you can be just the sorriest person in the world and all you got to do is just go tell them you got mental health issues and then they'll put you on welfare. It's just absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And so, uh, it is tough. We don't have any legal authority, you know, when it comes to, you know, our kids after they're grown up or after they turn 18. And so, you know, if my son goes and decides to raise a Muslim family, I'm going to be brokenhearted, uh, over it. But you know what? He's not in my house anymore. He's not under my authority. I can't do anything about it. Now, having said all that, one thing I, can't, I could do, I could disinherit him. Okay? Now, that's not going to be a big loss for him right now because uh, I'm a part of that underclass. But at the same time, imagine though if I was one of the more wealthy people and I had a large business and some family business and a fortune and you know, I had all these things. And then I, he goes and he joins the nation of Islam and I'm still supporting him and I'm still letting these things be his. Hey, if I had that kind of thing, you better believe he's not getting anything. But again, I don't, I don't have anything. And maybe that's why it would help us if we were rich. Then we got more things we can threaten our kids with. We can threaten to write them out of the will. But uh, we, we don't have that. Any, I, I don't have that anyway. But, you know, we should never act like, you know, those kind of things are fine. And so I say all that to say this too. Again, it, it said, if you have a descendant that isn't serving the Lord, you can still follow Joshua 24:15 as long as you are commanding those under your authority correctly you are following this even if you lose a descendant to this crooked and perverse nation and that's going to happen to a lot of people it's it's a 
weird world that we live in today, and it's hard to keep that junk, uh, you know, out of our families. But uh, I, I believe God can help us. And as long as the main thing we just got to do is where we have authority, make sure we do things right. So verse 16 says, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. So, Notice, this is an important concept we need to understand too. And kind of what we're going to talk about here, it goes along with what we talked about last week and kind of the hang-ups a lot of people have when it comes to hell. And they just they, they don't think that hell is fair. It's not people's fault. What if they're from a country that, you know, the gospel's just not there very much? It's important that we understand this. this I think this will help us understand some of these things. But these people, they're all speaking together publicly and they are agreeing to serve the Lord. And they are agreeing as heads of their houses that they are going to do the same thing. And you know what? When the heads of these homes were making this decision to serve the Lord, God not only expected them to follow through with it, but God expected all those under their authority to follow through with it. And God expected the descendants that hadn't even been born yet to follow through with it. Because the heads of these families, when Joshua got up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he was saying that as a head of a family and as a leader in a family. And he wasn't making that decision just for him. He was making it for his grown-up sons. He was over 100 years old. You know he had grown-up sons. You know he had grown-up grandsons that were under his authority. And when they're hearing dad and they're hearing grandpa say this, they understood that, you know what? We have to serve the Lord. And you know what? We've got to command our children to serve the Lord. And God expects us to serve the Lord. And you know what? If we don't serve the Lord, we're going to be judged. God expects this. And we, and in our American mentality today, you know, we do, we think a lot of things are just kind of up for debate and it's whatever we choose. It's whatever we want to be. You know, we have this Cinderella philosophy of following our heart that's just not biblical at all. But it's what a lot of people go with. You know, we should all just respect each other's decisions and everything's okay. Listen, if you are from a Christian home and you know the truth, God expects your children to follow that truth. I think God, God expects more from the kids in this church than He does from the kids out there in the world whose parents are lost. God expects you kids to also serve the Lord. God expects that from us. And I get it. When it comes to our salvation, we all do have to make that individual choice, that, that individual decision. But at the, at the same time, God expects us to make the right one. And if you come from a, a Christian family, God expects more of you. So notice in verse 19, after they all said, we want to serve the Lord too, they said, and Joshua said to the people, ye cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression." transgressions, nor your sins, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after he hath done you good. Now, I think I don't think Joshua is really trying to talk them out of serving the Lord here. I think he's just letting them know what they're getting themselves into. It's the same thing I do when anytime people talk about coming to our church and moving out here. I always tell them, you don't want to do that. You know, it's like, you know, I'm always, you know, come sit, check us out first. You know, you know why I do that? I want to see what they're getting themselves into. Hey, just... Find out, you know, don't just go off what you see in the internet. Come get a taste of the real thing. Make sure you know. And you know what? It's important we do that too. Whenever I, I counsel people who are wanting to get married, I try to scare them a little bit. Hey, you know, here's some challenges that you're going to deal with. Here's some things you're going to have to face. Why am I doing that? I want to make sure they're serious about it. Because I don't want them a few months down the road to all of a sudden for that woman to be like, I didn't realize I was going to have to listen to this guy. Well, I'm going to make sure they understand beforehand, hey, you realize if this is going to work, you need to submit to your husband. And, you know, I try to warn the guy too. That woman, she might get a little emotional sometimes. You know, you ready to deal with that? You know, you, you ready? You know, and, hey, you've got a big responsibility. I, I, try to, I try to scare them as much as I can to make sure they're serious. And Joshua's saying, you can't serve the Lord. If you mess up, he's going to get you. 
Now, was that a lie? No. And, you know, am I lying to people when I scare them about marriage? Okay. I mean, I don't think anybody in here has just had, you know, just smooth sailing, still waters, paradise through your whole marriage. You know, there's, there's some rough waters sometimes. And people need to understand what they're getting themselves into. And uh, Joshua, that's what he's doing right here. And so in verse 21, it says, And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Folks, this is so much more than just a rash decision. This is not like an altar call at a revival meeting where an evangelist just gets everyone emotional and gets them to come forward and make a quick decision that they haven't even thought about. No, this was... This was a very serious thing, and there were going to be real consequences when it came to what they chose. And if they ended up backing out on it later, it says in verse 22, And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourself, that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. So they are legally agreeing to serve the Lord. Now here's the thing. In our country today, you can come up here to the altar, and you can... You can Agree to do whatever you want. And you know what you could do? You could back out on it. And there's nothing that we will do about it. Now, God might do something to you. But legally, there's nothing we can do about, about it. I remember we had a family that came to our church one time. They'd been coming for a while. They were really weird. But, you know, I remember all the, at the end of the service, after the invitation, he came up and I talked to my dad. And he like brought his whole family up. And he was one of these big families. And they all stood up there and he gave this big speech about how great this church was and they're so glad their family found this church and they just want to serve the Lord in this church. And then we never saw them again. It was the weirdest thing. They just quit coming. And then they started going to a church an hour and a half away that my grandparents went to. And then I remember my sister was there staying with my grandparents and they had been going to that church for a while. And then they went up there in the service and they gave a big speech about how they've been to a lot of other churches and none of them are like this one. Talked about how great the church was, how great the pastor was. They're so thankful that they were, they were part of that church. And then they never, and they never came back to that one again. My grandma told us that she, she was so mad because she knew they were doing that because my sister was there. And then she said they, she never saw them again after that. They quit coming. You know how weird that is? Now, I, I looked these people up a while back on Facebook and I found them. And man, those kids did not turn out good. It was, I, I never expected them to. It was, they were just one of these weirdo families. And, uh, it, you, know, you know what? You don't do that as a leader of a home. Go up making decisions. Go up making pledges and then backing out on them. That's a, that's a bad thing to do. You're teaching your kids a horrible thing. And you know what? You know what we never did at Lighthouse when they left our church? We didn't go looking for them. We didn't send the church cops after them to force them to come back to church. We don't have that authority. We can't do that. But you know what? Back then, when these people are legally agreeing to serve the Lord, they had the power, they had the authority in that congregation that if they didn't serve the Lord, they could take care of them. They could either cut them off among the people, take their inheritance, whatever. They could stone them. They could kill them. I mean, they had a lot of power over them. And so these people were legally agreeing to these things and now we just kind of do this spiritually but physically there's no power that we have but you know back then they had the power physically so this was this was a very big deal it was a very big decision and so it says in verse 23 now therefore put away said he the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the lord god of israel and the people said unto joshua the lord our god we will serve and his voice will we obey so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart every man into his inheritance. So understand that now that they've made this agreement, that they were accountable to every word of God, and not only that, the future generations. So 200 years later, when these other people are like, you know what, I don't really care for some of these laws. I think we need to go uh, vote to change them. They didn't have a vote. 
They were expected to follow those laws. There was no choice. Their fathers made it for them, and they were expected to live by them. And if they didn't live by them, they were going to be in trouble. Now, Israel got so wicked that they didn't enforce things among themselves. And so guess what? God did. And when God gets involved, it gets really ugly. And God would send the Philistines in. Uh, we see them constantly giving Israel grief throughout the book of Judges. It's because they wouldn't serve the Lord. They wouldn't follow God's law. It got them in a lot of trouble. Thankfully, all these things happened after Joshua. But uh, understand, when you read those horrible stories in the book of Judges, when you read that terrible story about that concubine in Judges 19, and you just, you're, you know, you just shake your head, and like, what a horrible thing to happen in Israel. That's what happens. That's the kind of wickedness that starts going on when you don't serve the Lord. This was, and I get, you know, I get it. It was, uh, you know, you know might not, not everybody did it, but that kind of evil was going on in their land, and it was because they weren't following God's law. And so we see horrible, horrible things happen. So, um, you know, we need to understand that the things we do, even today, the things we do have consequences on future generations. And this is why the laws are so extreme about going after other gods. So we do. A lot of, a lot of even Christians, there's a lot of pastors today, they get embarrassed when they read the Old Testament and they see how they pretty much killed everybody for everything. And they get embarrassed by that. But that's because they're so short-sighted, they don't realize that letting that kind of thing go has major consequences. It destroys a culture and it destroys future generations. And that's why it's so important these things be dealt with. We see in Matthew 27. Right? And I'm about to give you some uncomfortable truths here. But we got some good news coming too. All right? But in Matthew 27, verse 23, it says, And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? This is when Jesus is on trial. The Jews wanted him put to death. But they cried out the more, the Jews, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. He tried to separate himself from it by washing his hands symbolically. But, you know, you, you guys do it. You go do this bad thing. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. And, you know, and that's not how that works. That's what he was trying. But then look what it said. When he said that, because Pilate understood, as wicked as he was, he understood when you kill a just person, it's going to come back on you. Now, he didn't understand just how just this person was. He didn't understand that he was, that he was basically helping facilitate the greatest crime in all of history. And it says in verse uh, 25, then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, folks, this, this curse worked. These were not empty words. God honored their words, their oath, their commitment that they made that day. They cursed themselves. And if you just want to some time, go read Josephus. Read that seven-year uh, uh, Jewish and Roman war. Over a million Jews died brutal, horrible deaths. It was so bad during that time. I mean, people were eating their own children. Go read about in uh, about one. I think it's 132 A.D. during the Simon Bar Kokhba uh, revolt. They had Simon Bar Kokhba. He was a false messiah. Many people believed that he was the messiah and he decided to try to rebuild that temple again and to uh, lead a rebellion against the Romans. And I think it was half a million Jews died again. Horrible, I mean, horrible deaths during that time. And you read their history and it's a constant bloodbath. And what you hear people saying all the time is, well, it's just because Satan hates them because they're God's chosen people. No, they curse themselves. That's what happened, folks. They, they cursed themselves. Oh, we're, we're in the New Testament era. I don't think that stuff works anymore. Well, here's what you need to understand about the New Testament era. I do believe these generational curses still apply. I do believe these generational curses still work. We see, uh, we see in Romans 
It says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Do you realize every one of us die because we descend from Adam? So if we all die because of Adam, you know, then, you know, and he is our father, then, you know, why wouldn't things like this work? And we see many examples of that in the Bible. I believe God cursed Cain's generation. It wasn't just Cain that the ground wasn't going to bring forth plenty for. I believe it was all his descendants. I believe it was, it was his entire race. We see that it was like that with many things in the Bible, many different generational curses. And that's why there were certain people, they were not, the Jews were not allowed to intermarry with them, that they were not allowed to have anything to do in the congregation. Why? Because there were curses that were brought on them. I mean, you have the Edomites, the, you know, the, the people upon whom God hath indignation forever. And you say, that's not fair. Listen, it is fair. It's the way these things work. And a lot of times we look at these other countries where things are so dark, where there's barely any gospel being preached, we've got to understand it's because their fathers rejected the gospel. Their fathers chose to bring in other gods. When people, when, when, when people in other countries brought in things like Buddha, there were consequences for it. There were consequences. And these future generations are paying for it. And it's a horrible thing to see. We don't like it. We see what's going on in these African countries. And I don't know the cause. I don't know where these things started. But there's a reason that these countries are impoverished the way they are. There's a reason they're so full of disease like they are. And they have so, so many major problems. It's because these places are cursed because of wickedness. And a lot of times we look at these children and we think, you know, this is so sad. You know, they're so, but it's, it's not God's fault, folks. It's their father's fault. That's why these things are bad. And you say, well, what if you come from a bad line? Well, here's the thing. We are in the New Testament. You're still in trouble, but you can be born again. Okay? We can be born again. And so, thank God for that. Because you might think this isn't fair, but this is why everyone needs to be born again. You know, there are some groups that are more blessed than others. There are some nations that are more prosperous than others. And I hate to tell you this too. There's some cult, there, some cultures are better off than other cultures. And it's, it's not, it's not a skin color thing. Listen, if we all decided, hey, let's adopt the gods of the Muslims. Let's all adopt the practices of the Muslims. You know how, what our country is going to end up like? It's going to end up like their countries. Because it's not about how dark their skin is. It's about their culture. It's about their gods that they serve. And if we do, if we start following the gods that they're following in Africa, if we take up the practices and things that they have in Africa, guess what our country is going to become like? It's going to become like Africa. And you know what? what? You know what we ought to do too? We ought to look at countries like Venezuela. We ought to look at these communist countries and see what's going on over there and just understand that they're not like that because of a skin color. They're not like that because of a language or anything like that. If we adopt their policies, if we adopt their practices, their gods, their culture, guess what our country is going to become like? Just like theirs. And we need, and, and you know what? Future generations will suffer because of that. And these decisions, they're not just ours. Okay? They, uh, they, or they don't just affect us. They affect the next generations. And that's, these things are a big deal. But you know what? Thank God, even if we come from a bad line, we can still be born again. But you know what? Just because you get born again doesn't mean you're going to get rid of all the physical problems that come. You know, there's still, you know, you know, and there's still going to be problems, but you know, at least we can have the spiritual blessings. At least we can overcome many of these things. We can be an exception. We can be different. And it's like that many families. It's like that my dad's family. There's a big difference between you know, my dad and his family, he, you know, he came from a large family, but there is a huge difference between him and, and much of his family. You know why? He chose a different path. You know, he, he chose to follow the Lord. He chose to serve the Lord. He decided, you know what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he didn't just say it. He didn't just put it on the door of the house. He actually lived it and practiced it. And you know what? It changed things. And he was able to start something new. You can do the same thing too. But understand if you don't, understand if you decide to be selfish and you're going to serve yourself and do whatever you want for yourself, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your grandchildren. And one of these days, you might have hundreds and hundreds of descendants. You won't, you won't be here anymore, but they might all be on their way to hell 
because you chose to reject the Lord. You chose to serve other gods. You chose to just give up on the things of God. You decided, you know, because you can't give your salvation back, but you know what you could do? You could hang up your Christian walk. You could stop serving the Lord. You could stop being a soul winner. You could stop going to church. You can quit doing all those things, and then you're just going to raise the same thing that the world's raising. Don't let that happen to your family. God, you know, these, these decisions are so important. It's not just about you. So verse 29 says, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And let me tell you, this right here, I think is one of the greatest verses in here. It's a great testimony about that generation. And that that's what I, you know, that's just kind of my goal. I don't want my family to just serve the Lord while they are in my house and under my authority. I want them to serve the Lord when they are out from under my authority. I don't want them to just serve the Lord while I'm living. I want them to serve the Lord when I'm dead and gone, too. That, that's what I want. And you know what? I hope it goes on even after that. that you know, that's my desire. And listen, I'm telling you right now, and, and you know what? I can't prove this, but um, we probably won't know this for sure when we get to heaven. But I, you know, my dad, you know, he, he gave his life just in the service of the Lord. And, I mean, he poured every bit of himself into his church and serving God. And the only thing he ever asked of God was that his family get saved. And, and not just family. He, he always talked about all his descendants getting saved. I mean, that is what he lived for. That is what he wanted. I mean, that, that was his goal. And I'm telling you, I, I believe, you know, in all my family... Uh, so as far as I know, is saved so far, and and I, I believe it's because of him. Now I do think it's possible that you know some of us, you know, and some of my kids, if they wanted to, they could go another direction and not continue. I don't think I'm not just going to go off my dad's religion and my dad's service of the Lord and think, well, you know, I got a good dad, I got a good heritage there, I'm all good, I can slack off a little bit. No, I also need to have the same commitment. I've got to make that decision too, because I, I do. I want it to. I want it to keep going, as far as possible. But I, I believe with all my heart that where we are at today has a lot to do with Him. What God has done for us, it hasn't been about what I've done, but about what my Father has done. I, I really believe that with all my heart, and so I don't want to go and take all these benefits that I've received, all this good. Because like I said, I, I don't have any earthly inheritance that I'm expecting from my father, but I have received a great spiritual inheritance. And what a horrible thing it would be for me to squander it. What a horrible thing would it be for to waste it all myself to just take all the benefits that I got from growing up in a good IFB home and then to just throw it all away and go buy the skinny jeans and become a Southern Baptist and trendy and all that. What a horrible thing that would be for me to do. Just throw it all away and waste it so I could be a little more popular, so I could be a little more hip and cool. Uh, I think that would be a shame. And I, I've, I've been blessed too much, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't squander it. I should try to preserve it and pass it on to the next generation. And I think it's very important that we all have that attitude. And so, in verse 32... It says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And this is a major fulfillment of prophecy uh, from Genesis. In Genesis 5.24, the book of Genesis ends and says, And Joseph said to his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And, jo and Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. They were in captivity during that time. Pharaoh was good to him. It was kind of like an American captivity. Okay? You know, 
They were slaves, but they're taking good care of them. And kind of how it is for us now. But you know what? They wanted to get back in their own land. And Joseph told them, God's going to get you out of here. I'm going to be dead, but you know what? You're going to carry my bones out. And that's exactly what they did in Exodus. We see them carrying the bones out when they left Egypt. But now they're in the land. They're settled in the land. And they buried the bones of Joseph, kind of fulfilling uh, this major prophecy. So I think that's pretty neat in there how uh, it closes out the book of Joshua. Because this is, this is kind of like the... Even though they came out of Egypt in Exodus, you know, there was a long period of time where they're just kind of, you know, where they're wandering in the wilderness. And so really what they have right here is the full fulfillment of that prophecy. Not just they're going to come out of Egypt, but they're going to be put in a good land. And so now they're there, they're established, they're settled, and they bury those bones of Joseph fulfilling that prophecy. And so it says in verse 33, And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, uh, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. So the book of Joshua closes out with the deaths of great men and great leaders who served the Lord in a way we never see again in another generation. And this book, this generation is proof you know, that we could have peace on earth and blessing if we would just obey the Lord. But you know what? The next book is a reminder that no matter, no matter what, man always ends up going bad. You know why? It's in our nature. And again, it's a reminder. What we all really need, it's not a better government. It's not a better land. We just need a Savior and we need to be born again. And we're waiting for that glorified body and we're waiting for our King to come back so He can rule this earth with a rod of iron because we have proven that we can't get it done. They got done for a little while, but it's supposed to last a lot longer than that. And... It's just, it's not going to happen. And you know what? No matter what we think about our American history, eventually we're going to be toast one of these days. And it's looking like it could be pretty close <laughs> the, way, the way this country is going. So hopefully you got a lot out of the book of Joshua. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this book and just the amazing stories and uh, miracles we see in it. And I just pray that we'll be challenged by it. I pray we'll be challenged by that verse about our house, Lord, I pray that those that we are in authority over, that we will command them in the right way, that we'll train them, that we'll teach them, Lord, we'll not just, and that we'll uh, not just tell them what to do, Lord, but we'll inspire them to want to serve you and to love you with all their heart. And I just pray that we'll uh, continue to see future generations serving you. And in your name we pray. Amen.